Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. When we go through trials, our perspective can change to where all we see is what is going wrong and what we don't have. As we put our focus back on God and what He has done, we'll see His past faithfulness and all the times His grace has saved, protected, and carried us. One of Cheryl's message titled, Inventory of God's Grace. So I remember right after the diagnosis of my dad's cancer, I had this seven hour drive. I was up visiting my grandchildren. And do you ever have like one of those times where you can only see what is wrong with your life? Do you ever have those days? Like you, you can't see anything that's right. You know, they say, I read this in an article that women are 10 percenters. Most women, we have this in common. We look in the mirror and we see 10% of what is wrong and we don't see the 90% of what is right. You know, we only see the 10 that needs improvement. That's what we tend to do. We've met those other women though that see the 90% that's right. There are like three in the world and we know their names, but We see the 10% that's wrong, most of us. It's all we can see is what needs improvement. And it was one of those days. We're even looking in the rearview mirror. All I could see was what needed improvement. And I was driving, and Brian had said to me, you need to listen to Matt Redman's um, newest album. And the the, uh, CD was in the car, and I popped it in. And it came to the song, You Are Faithful. And I I have to say at this time in my life, I was tired, I was wrung out, and I was going through some pretty big, big battles in just about every arena of my life. And I heard this song, and this is how it goes, the lyrics, standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful. God, you are faithful kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. It changed my whole perspective. Instead of seeing everything that was wrong, 
I began to see the miracle of my life. I began to take inventory of the grace of God upon my life. I saw the miracle of where I was, saved, saved. Yeah, there were some times I started to go my own way in my senior year of high school and college, and God was faithful, faithful to chasten me because he loved me to get me right on the path, on the right path back. I was married. I had a husband, I still do, who loves me, who loves me, who comes home every night, who loves me. That's such a miracle because if anyone has sabotaged that, it's me. And he still loves me. And I've got a happy marriage. I actually like the man. I love him. I get excited when I see him. I have grown children that are walking with Jesus and they love Jesus and they speak wisdom to me. And my children have become my friends and they've even become my mentors. They love to tell me what to do now. I have safety. My house is safe. My house has never been broken into. God has protected my home. Uh, You know, I think about all the times that I have been in harm's way by my own mistakes, by my own stubbornness. And God has protected me. I thought about the health, the health of my husband. Because, you know, I worry more about his health than mine. Like, I want to die first. That's just my desire. You can stop that. You know, and we argue about which one of us gets to die first. My parents used to, too. We just picked up their argument. Dad won. Provided for. I've been provided for. You know, all those times where I thought, I don't know how we're going to pay this. I don't know how we're going to come through. God has always come through miraculously. I thought of the miracle of all the battles I had survived. That God had actually won all the battles where he turned the tables, where it looked like I was going to be hung on Haman's gallows, and instead Haman was hung. I thought about all those times. I thought, again, of the victory of my salvation, that God called me, he loved me, he saved me. I thought about the times he had dealt with the enemies, those who were against me. I thought about the enemies of finances, the financial battles that God had won, the spiritual battles against my own stubbornness, against my own rebellion, against my own desires, the battles that God had won, the physical battles for health, the physical battle, which is both spiritual and physical of prodigals, the the battles against slander and against lies, and I thought about, oh, my, my Jesus, you helped me to stand and to make it through. And then I thought of the miracle of all I had through Christ. And of course, this includes my children and my husband, my family, but it also includes a home and in a car that runs, runs, family, friends, church, ministry, opportunities to serve the Lord. And then I thought of all the promises God had fulfilled. 
All those places in my Bible where you give me promises and I had to write the word answered underneath because God had done everything he said he would do. And then I thought of all the pending promises that God has given me, things yet to come, things in the future yet to be fulfilled. But I've got these promises. I've got a stack of promises. You know, it's like, yeah, I have the bills that have been paid and the ones yet to pay. Well, I've got these promises that have come through. And then I've got this stack of promises yet to come through. Things he's spoken to me about the future, promises for my children. And as I reflected and took inventory of the grace of God in my life, I began to cry and to praise the Lord. And suddenly I saw God's faithfulness. I saw God's goodness. I saw God's grace. In 1 Kings 19, verses 9 through 18, Elijah had a similar experience. He had gotten a mean, slanderous, threatening letter from a woman named Jezebel. And she had told him, oh, God help me if you are not dead by tomorrow, like one of the prophets of Baal. She staked her life on the murder of Elijah. And even though he had just been through this tremendous spiritual victory, he was scared and he began to just run as fast as he could out to the wilderness. In fact, he even retired his servant. He said to his servant, you're not gonna be needed anymore. Elijah had gone out to the wilderness to die to just quit the ministry, to have it over with. And he camped at a stream. And there at the stream, we're told that an angel came and made him a breakfast, a meal, and fed him and said, eat this because you're going to need all the strength that you've got. And then Elijah went running and we're told that he went to an exceedingly high mountain. Some people believe he actually went to Mount Sinai, to the very place where Moses had been when he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. And there Elijah waited. And the Lord came to him and he said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then God said, get ready for a revelation. And you know the story. There was the wind, there was the fire, there was the earthquake. And then there was the still small voice. And in the still small voice, God said to Elijah again, what are you doing here? In other words, Elijah, how did you make it all the way here? And Elijah had to take inventory of God's provision. At one point, it had been ravens. Another time, it had been a widow. And another time, it had been the angel of the Lord himself sustaining Elijah. Elijah was alive by a miracle of God. It didn't matter the threat of a queen. God had miraculously always faithfully sustained his prophet. He reminded Elijah of the battles that had been won. There are 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee. 450 prophets of Baal had been slain. There was rain in Israel and God's presence and power had been manifested to all the leaders of Israel. But then God reminded Elijah there was still work to be done. There was another younger prophet to be anointed, Elisha. There was a king to be anointed, Jehu. And another king, Hazael, to be anointed. There was still work 
promises to be passed down and passed out to others. You see, we can get so caught up in the busyness of life and even ministry. We can be so concentrated on the 10% of what's wrong in our life or even the to-do list that we don't realize what's been done list because we're so looking at all the things we still need to do. The children of Israel still need to move out from the camp in Gilgal, move into their territory, settle into their houses, you know, clean the premises. Probably the wives are going, oh, we gotta clean so much. You know, and no, I don't want the couch there. I want the couch a little to the right. You know, there's still so much. And everyone, anyone who's moved, knows how hard it is to move. But it's also, they're going to have to change their whole way of living. They've been living as nomads. And now they're supposed to settle into houses and get used to living in one place and agricultural and raising cattle, ranching. They've got to get used to a whole new way of life. And we can become so focused on our to-do list and when we do this, we put the responsibility so on ourselves. And, you know, sometimes thinking about the things I have to do, I can just get tired. I am a to-do list person. I've told you this before. Every single one of my journals, and I keep a journal of my Bible studies. I love to journal. I love to write. But at the back of every journal, you will find a calendar, a calendar that I've done myself, that I've done all the abbreviations, sun, mun, to, you know, Wed, wed, thur, fry, sat. I've done the calendar myself with all the days and all the months. And then I circle and I underline all the things that are yet ahead. And sometimes when I look at that calendar, I am totally overwhelmed. In fact, you know how I did a retreat last week? Right after this, I'm going to go do another retreat. What is wrong with me? And then I thought I got a break next week. And Brian goes, you do realize you're going up with me and you're doing this for the women up there. And I'm like, no. It's good. It's all good. What a great opportunity. But you know, sometimes I can, when I put the responsibility on me, I'm like, I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. I just like, it's way too much for me. I, I can't do this. And this is the time to take inventory of the miracle of God's grace in our life. You see, you are a miracle. Where you are right now, is a miracle. You, right now, in your own life, you're standing on holy ground. You are saved. You know, sometimes we have to just take inventory. How did I get here? How did I, how did I become a Christian? Of course, for me, it's easy. My mom made me. But for the rest of you, how did you become a Christian? How did God get you to this place where you're saved? How did God bring you into this place where you are right now? You're a miracle. Your salvation is such a miracle. But then the grace of all you've come through. Oh my goodness, think of all the battles behind you. All the victories God has won in your life. All those places where you thought, I'll never make it through this one. I'm going down for sure. And somehow, here you are. You've made it through and God availed. And then all you possess through Christ. All the things, you've got a community here at Calvary Chapel, at Joyful Life. We are your people. 
We are your sisters. You've been brought into the family of God. How great is that? You are wanted, you are loved. Jesus loves you. Oh, all that we have through Christ, all the promises of God that we possess, the citizenship in heaven. There's a danger when we fail to take inventory of the grace of God in our lives. This is what happens. We ascribe where we are to our own power, our own perseverance. And when we do, we lose the sense of the power of God in our lives because our parade of pride takes precedence over the grace of God. You see, we are here by God's grace and not by any self-effort or anything we have done. It is God, it is God, it is God. But when we ascribe it to ourselves, we put extra responsibility in ourselves. The pressure increases. We can get so awful because we've got to do this. And you know, pride is ugly. It's just plain old ugly. I do pride ugly. You know how some people cry ugly? I pride ugly. It's just ugly. When we ascribe victory, you know, well, I won that battle to chance or coincidence. And sometimes we do. Oh, well, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened. And so here we are. And we don't realize the hand of God in the victories that we have. There's no security. Every battle that comes, you're like, I don't know. You know, we got a 50-50 chance. There's no security. But when we ascribe it rightly to God as the victor, then all we have to do is stand in God. And we know we are guaranteed the victory through Christ because we are told in 2 Corinthians that God always gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2.14, we always have the victory when we are following Jesus. But when we ascribe victory to ourselves, well, what happens? We say, well, it was my strategy or it was my strength or it's the community we are in. Then we put so much expectation on our strategy and our plans. All our faith goes into strategizing or into personal strength, or even we put pressure on the community we're in. And we start having expectations for the church or for our friends or for our family. Like you need to do this. You need to show up. You need to do your part. And it keeps us from effectively fighting against the enemy. And and we do one of two things. We either huddle and try to hide from the enemy and just shoot out at him, bomb the enemy, instead of bringing the gospel to the enemy. Or we join the enemy. We begin to try to appease or compromise with the enemy so he won't attack us. When we ascribe what we have, our possessions, to our own deservedness. Like, well, I'm entitled. I earned this. I deserve this. I lose the sense of God's grace and I become thankless. Thankless. You know, there is nothing worse than a thankless person. You ever give a gift to a thankless person? It's so demoralizing. 
they just go, mm-hmm. Oh, one of these? Oh, I already have three. Great, because I spent all my money on that. And I really wanted some sea candy too, but I gave it all to you. You know, it's, we become thankless. And when we become thankless, when we ascribe it to our own power, you know what we press in, what we pass out? Our personal testimony. Oh, I'm sorry you're not like me. <laughs> because I do everything right. I have this young girl and she spoke to me and she said, why am I having marital issues? And I said, because you're you? And she's like, no, no, you don't understand. I did everything right. Everything right. And I said, then that's why you've got marital issues. Because you did everything right. See, I did everything wrong and I don't have any. Mine is all by the grace of God and yours. You're dealing with humanity. But she really said, you know, I don't understand this. I did everything right. I mean, she was like angry. I felt like I was getting, you know, punches for God, you know. I did everything right. And I said, that's why. Because of your self-righteousness. Because this is what happens. If someone has marital problems, you're going to say, follow me. Follow me. I do everything right. Just follow me. If you just follow me, you can have a perfect marriage too. Or your point to your methodology. Okay, make sure that you do this. Remember the Total Woman book? Some of you who are like my age and older. Like she was telling you how to have the best marriage. Anyway, she got a divorce. I'm just saying. Because, you know, methodologies don't work. And we're pointing people to a system instead of to the grace of God. Or we're pointing people to, these are the five rules I live by. It doesn't have to be the Mosaic law. There's also Cheryl's law. And if I point people to Cheryl's law and they're trying to abide by the law, there goes the grace of God and the power of God. I don't want to pass down rules and regulations or methodologies or even me to my children. I want to pass down the promises and the power and the grace and the heritage of God's children to my own children, to the people of God, to this younger generation. I want to say, you've got the promises of God. You're going to find everything you need in Jesus, everything. And he's got so much for you. In Joshua 12 and 13, before moving into the land and the houses God had for them and into the territories that were going to be allotted to them. They needed to take inventory of God's grace, where God had brought them, who God had defeated for them, and what God had already given them in order that they might properly allot the promised land, move fully into these promises and pass the promises down as a heritage to their children, their children's children, their children's children's children, their children's 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 children, children, and so on. We find that God had brought them, remember 50 years earlier where they had been? Slaves in Egypt. Against them were the armies of Egypt, the Red Sea, the wilderness, their own sin, their own disunity. In fact, when Moses first appeared to them, they didn't even want him as a leader. All these things were against them. 
but God miraculously delivered them from Egypt and they went out as a people together. He parted the Red Sea. He drowned the Egyptian army. He brought them through the wilderness. He removed the doubters, detractors, and deterrents from their midst. He gave them water from rocks to refresh and sustain them. He fed them every day with manna from heaven, angels' food, to nourish and strengthen them. You know, they say that manna looked like a coriander seed and tasted sweet. Could it be that it tasted like angel food cake? I'm just saying. God dealt with all the impediments. He told them, I will get you into that land. God's grace towards us is miraculous. By grace, we are saved, protected, and provided for. God fights our battles and defends us from all our enemies. He gives promises to encourage us and provides strength to hold on to them when we're wavering. God is for us and His grace is always there as we seek and trust Him. We function by God's grace and not by any power or accomplishment of our own. As we surrender ourselves to God's grace, we will see God work and do the miraculous in our lives. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at God's grace upon Israel as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.